Hi, I'm Ojala Mali. I'm Blair Bigham. This is the CMAJ Podcast. So, Jola, today we're talking about hypertension and a cause of hypertension that maybe isn't as rare as people think. An article titled Screening for Primary Aldosteronism in Primary Care has been published in CMAJ, and we're going to be focusing on how do we find these people who have primary aldosteronism driving their hypertension? Because as it turns out, and as the article points out, if you do have this as your cause of hypertension and your treatment is different at least for the first, second, third, and fourth line, uh, than other people who have essential hypertension. Yeah, and I think that, you know, after reading the paper, I just did not realize just how much primary aldosteronism is underdiagnosed and underappreciated as a cause of hypertension. It, it You know, like, finishing medical school... I don't know, like almost 20 years ago, it seems as if like we're just learning more and more. And which is like the wonderful part about medicine Mm -hmm. uh, is that the amount of things that you did that keep on changing. But also it's it's also a bit daunting in terms of trying to keep up with everything. Well, all I remember from medical school about aldosteronism was that you had low potassium. But as it turns out from this article, even that's not necessarily sort of that flag for you. Yeah, And I think for our family physician and primary care physicians that this is of particular significance because we have a high problem percentage of the population who are affected by hypertension and that this is really a shift in terms of understanding the treatment algorithms to approach um, hypertension, especially, you know, looking at the role of aldosterone in it. Well, let's get into it with the author. Dr. Greg Hundermar is the co-author of the practice paper in the CMAJ entitled Screening for Primary Adosteronism in Primary Care. He is a nephrologist and assistant professor at the Ottawa Hospitals. Greg, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So just to start off, can you just give us the 101 on what primary aldosteronism is? Yeah, so primary aldosteronism, it's a, it's a condition that's often overlooked and there's several and part of the confusion is there's several different names for it. So it's sometimes called primary hyperaldosteronism, sometimes it's called con syndrome. It all means the same thing. Oh and so I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of cons. And yeah, and basically what I've it heard. is is your it's an endocrine issue essentially where your adrenal glands are secreting too much aldosterone and it's secreting aldosterone independent of its primary regulators, which are typically um, angiotensin two and potassium. Um, and it's it's a common cause of hypertension. So we used to think that it was kind of a rare niche form of hypertension, but the more and more research that's coming out, we now realize that it's 10 to 20% or maybe even more um, of hypertension oh, wow. that is actually due to um, autonomous aldosterone secretion. So what are the symptoms of it? Yeah, so the classic findings are when you have too much aldosterone being secreted is you tend to hold on to sodium. So you get sodium retention, volume expansion, and that leads to hypertension. But with sodium being reabsorbed, you also get a concurrent excretion of potassium and acid. So the classic triad is hypertension, low potassium, and metabolic alkalosis. Now, not every patient manifests all of those, but that's kind of the, cl- mm-hmm. the classic manifestations. Wait, where does the metabolic alkalosis come from? Uh, it's because when, you, or when your kidneys are holding onto too much sodium, they excrete different cations, and potassium is one, but acid is the other. Um, so oh, you actually okay, excrete okay. too much acid in the kidney, which leads to metabolic alkalosis. Look at the nerds. Um, (laughs) He's like, oh, what is that? Uh, So how serious is this when you have 
hypertension that's not responding to medication? Yeah. So, and that's a really good question. So when we think of, I think one of the, what really got me interested in this field is we often think of hypertension as this like kind of one size fits all approach where we treat everybody the same. And, and it's really probably not the best approach because a primary aldosteronism is kind of a specific cause of hypertension that has different treatments. So there's actually, we have good treatments that it can actually target the action of aldosterone. And the reason it's important is rather than just kind of throwing the typical blood pressure medications that we do to run of the mill hypertension is that patients with primary aldosteronism, there's a number of studies now that show that even independent of blood pressure control, these patients are at disproportionately high risk for cardiovascular disease. So they have much higher rates mm. of stroke, heart attack, heart failure, oh, wow. AFib, as well as they have uh, more rapid decline in their kidney function over time as well and higher mortality. Um, and that's independent of blood pressure. So in the, the thing about this disease is it's actually modifiable. We have good treatments for it. It's just we make the diagnosis far too late many times. And oftentimes, the majority of cases, we probably actually don't make the diagnosis and we miss, the, we miss these cases for many, many years. So how does the treatment differ then compared to like regular hypertension or essential hypertension? Yeah, so the treatment, it, it kind of comes in two flavors. So again, the problem is the adrenal glands secreting too much aldosterone autonomously. And the treatments are really guided based on whether one adrenal gland is affected or both. Um, so oh. so when, it's just, when, it, when it's just one gland affected, you can actually, it's one of the rare forms of hypertension that you can actually cure because you can do a, a surgery to actually remove the problem adrenal gland. Oh. And, and a large number of these cases are actually cured of hypertension completely. And we know that their oh. risk for cardiovascular disease and kidney disease and all sorts of other things comes way down after that. And they have excellent outcomes. Um, now, the majority of cases, it's actually both adrenal glands are affected. Um, in that case, obviously, you wouldn't typically want to take out both adrenal glands. Um, but we use medications that are targeted toward aldosterone. So the common ones are mineral, mineral corticoid receptor antagonists. So we often think of spironolactone or a plerinone. And there's newer ones becoming available now that may be even better. Uh, but those really kind of block the action of aldosterone um, in the kidney and elsewhere and are very and can be quite effective when used to properly to, to lower cardiovascular and kidney disease risk. Um, now, with run-of-the-mill mm-hmm, hypertension, mm-hmm. we typically don't think of spironolactone until uh, until you're like fourth or fifth line drug. But in these patients, it should be their first line drug because we know it's really targeting their pathophysiology. Got it. So by identifying it, you're starting a different treatment that can really reduce mortality, even if their blood pressure were controlled with something else. Correct. Yeah. Because currently we don't even, if you look at the current screening guidelines, probably the most common reason to screen is when somebody has resistant hypertension. But that's to meet that requirement, they're often on four drugs already. And that may have taken right, years right. or even a decade or more to actually reach that point. And you probably missed an opportunity there to kind of lower their long-term risk by diagnosing mm-hmm. it almost too late. So you talked about the incidence in the general population being around 20%, which is quite high. Um, how common is hypertension within the population with hypertension? Yeah. So if you look at, so just in terms of hypertension itself, it's about one in four Canadians. So 25% of Canadians have hypertension, whether or not they're diagnosed or not, that's, that's kind of population wide. That's what it looks like. Now, when we look at, it, it is kind of a spectrum. So if you look at severity of, of hypertension, where you go from stage one or mild hypertension to kind of more severe resistant hypertension, you see the prevalence of primary aldosteronism go from maybe 10% or so to when you get to resistant hypertension, it's often some of the studies show it's 20% and beyond. Um, so mm. it's actually pretty common. Um, but some of the studies we've done where we actually looked at how many of these patients that actually meet these criteria to screen, it's actually very low. It ends up being like less than two in 100, uh, less than, so less than 2% that actually ever get screened that should have been, at least according to guidelines. And some of the work I do is saying that 
gosh, we should be screening a lot more people with hypertension for this because Mm -hmm. we often wait too late to actually look for this disease. So what are some of the key indicators or like what are red flags that should promote a physician just to consider just to scream for this as a potential cause of someone's hypertension? Yeah. So according to the guidelines, the the main, like some of the the populations where it's recommended to screen is, again, severe or resistant hypertension. So often on four drugs or somebody that has this very severe hypertension that is otherwise unexplained. Um, hypertension and low potassium is a common one, um, just given how it works. And, um, and the, high, the low potassium, people are often confuse that because some, sometimes patients are already on several blood pressure medications, which can lower their potassium, like thiazide diuretics or loop diuretics. Uh, but that's actually... Oftentimes, the hypokalemia is actually unmasked by being on those medications. So even if it's, even if it's hypokalemia in the setting of, say, hydrochlorothiazide, that's still an indication to look for, for primary aldosteronism. Um, other oh. times, if somebody has an adrenal nodule and hypertension, that's another reason to think of it because that adrenal nodule could be the source of where this excess aldosterone is coming from. So those would be some of the more, more common indications to, to test for this disease. If you're saying that maybe close to 20% of people with hypertension could have uh, this. Would it make sense to test anyone who comes in with hypertension? Or is that not, I guess, cost effective? No, I think it's a really good point. And it's something that that's a lot of the work I'm doing is to say, gosh, we should be expanding this because you're right. Um, if 20, 10 to 20% is a big number when you think of how one in four people have hypertension. Um, and I, it, there hasn't been a whole lot of work in terms of how cost-effective it would be to screen everybody. But my guess is, the, given the disproportionate amount of cardiovascular and kidney disease risk, I, I advocate for that. So I work in the hypertension clinic here. And I actually, anybody that comes through, we end up, because of, of these recent studies showing the high prevalence, we test everybody for primary aldosteronism. And you'd, you'd be surprised by how many we actually pick up um, that mm. were basically undiagnosed all along that we, that we detect now. What's the workup? What are you sending off? Yeah, so when we so the the starting test is a screening test called the aldosterone to renin ratio, and so it's a simple blood test that you draw you draw and check you check aldosterone and renin, and kind of the classic um, hallmark of primary aldosteronism is you have high aldosterone in the setting of a suppressed renin, so a very low renin. Sometimes it can be so low it's undetectable. So usually with with Typically, with normal physiology, aldosterone and renin will travel the same direction, where if renin goes up, aldosterone goes up, and vice versa, because that's kind of how the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system pathway works. But in this disease, you have um, aldosterone being autonomously secreted, so it's high, but it's, and it's causing you to hold on to sodium and your body gets volume expanded. And because of that, you suppress renin. So it's kind of an abnormal physiology where you have a high aldosterone hmm. and low renin. And so that's, that's kind of the classic hallmark we look for in the aldosterone to renin ratio. So do patients have to go up their blood pressure medications when you're testing for this? So that's a really common question. It's a bit of a myth in, uh, with this disease is that I think some of the reason the screening rates are so low is I think that it's a bit of intimidating for many physicians to, to kind of go down that pathway of testing these patients because they think they have to take them off all their blood pressure medications. And these patients are often on multiple drugs and it's often not safe to take them off all their medications because their blood pressure may be through the roof. Um, so in reality... The way I practice, the old, most blood pressure medications can actually be continued when you do this testing. The medications that I typically will hold are mineral corticoid receptor antagonists, so like spironolactone or aplerinone, and the other is amylaride. Um, those can give you um, false results in the testing, but for the vast majority of blood pressure medications like ACE inhibitors, ARBs, beta blockers, it's the vast majority of times you can just continue those medications and the testing will still be reliable. Hmm. 
And then the other question is that do they like from what I'm trying to remember from medical school is that would you necessarily have the low potassium or could you still have a normal potassium? Yeah. So the the classic teaching is you have that triad of hypertension, hypokalemia, metabolic alkalosis, but actually the majority of cases actually don't have low potassium. Um, and so that's a bit of a myth is that you have to have low potassium and that's, it often triggers you to think of it and it should, but you shouldn't, but you shouldn't come away thinking that you have to have low potassium um, in the setting. It's often over 50% of cases will actually have normal potassium. So you can't just rely on, on that clue. So you have somebody who doesn't really meet the classic rationale for testing, um, but you've sort of made the case that regardless of their blood pressure, you can spare them a lot of suffering in the future. Are, are there certain groups of people who like, if they walked into a family doctor's office, you'd be like, oh, that's a slam dunk. You should definitely send off a renin. Yeah. So, so there are, there are certainly some of those. And so the, like the slam dunks are patients that are the things I think of as say like a young patient with disproportionate, like very high blood pressure, poorly controlled for unclear reason. Like you should definitely looking, be looking for secondary causes in that sort of instance. Um, or if they have some, like, again, they don't have to have low potassium, but if they do, or they have an adrenal nodule, I would certainly, I mean, that should be like screaming to test for this because there, there's a decent chance that number one, you might be able to cure their hypertension if they're, if they mm -hmm. have one-sided disease or two, you can get them on the right blood pressure medication where if you find like these patients are often when they finally get down that pathway where they get started on spironolactone or something that really targets their, what's going on with their body, their blood pressure out of, after not being controlled on no matter what drug you threw at them, you get on the right drug and suddenly their blood pressure is way, way better, way controlled. They end up coming off a lot of the other medications. The problem is it takes us too long to get to that right drug. I want to go off on a little tangent here. Let's just say your renin came back normal or like your aldosterone renin ratio was normal. Is there like a next diagnosis other than cons that, that sort of would pop to mind, like pheochromocytoma or, you know, one of those weirdo uh, rare diagnoses? Yeah. So, and so part of the reason in our hypertension clinic, I think I mentioned that everybody, we test everybody that comes new to us with an aldosterone and renin level. And that's not just to diagnose primary aldosteronism. It can actually be helpful to diagnose other forms of um, kind of secondary hypertension. And so like what we'll often see is I'll send an aldosterone and renin level and they're both sky high. And that actually makes me think of things like renal mm. artery stenosis, where you're actually not perfusing your kidneys enough. Oh, um, and, okay. and so you can kind of see, you kind of pick up on these patterns where aldosterone and renin are both high or one's high and one's low or both are low. And it does make you think about different disorders like Cushing syndrome is something that they'll classically both be low. Um, so I think it's helpful in these kind of, when you're thinking of secondary hypertension, I think aldosterone and renin are not just helpful for making the diagnosis of primary aldosteronism. It actually helps you diagnose other potential um, conditions as well. So we've done a lot of myth busting in a very short amount of time. It's very fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, to what extent is that an indicator of how much our understanding of aldosteronism has evolved in the past decade? Yeah. So things have, from my perspective, over the last five to 10 years, it's really changed. And kind of one of the directions where this is headed is... Um, when we define primary aldosteronism, it's defined by these kind of discrete cutoffs where you go from whatever threshold you set for aldosterone and renin, where you go from not having disease to having disease. And that's really not how physiology works. It's really, a lot of these diseases are like a spectrum where it's kind of like this continuous spectrum of disease. Um, and some of these thresholds we've set in medicine are kind of arbitrary. Um, so like, why is it, why is it, 
one point below your aldosterone to renin ratio is normal. And above that, it's one point above, it's abnormal. Um, and so what we've been looking at is kind of looking at the spectrum and saying that a lot of, mm-hmm. I, I talked about 10 to 20% of patients meeting kind of the criteria for what we classically call primary aldosteronism. But we've been looking at kind of milder or subclinical forms that may not meet that that criteria we've defined over time that's kind of arbitrary and looking at these more mild causes. And so a lot of my thought is that a lot of what we call essential hypertension now is actually kind of subclinical forms of excess aldosterone production. And that's oh, wow. actually been that's actually been proven in resistant hypertension. And that's why spironolactone has now become the top fourth-line drug for resistant hypertension. When you look at those studies, it's because those a lot of those patients have secrete too much aldosterone. And I think mm-hmm. we're looking at heading in the future, I think we're heading toward realizing that that's actually true even in more mild forms of hypertension and even at the first diagnosis of hypertension. Um, a lot of it's aldosterone mediated and we're just now starting to realize that more and more. Why do you think we're just starting to realize it? It's 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 a good, it's hard to know really because I think it, some of these things got set in stone over time and like the Jerome Kahn was the one who first, that's why Kahn syndrome is it's named that, that he discovered the disease many, many years ago in the 40s and 50s. And it kind of, everybody thought it was this kind of rare disease. Mm. And sir, this, but he was just picking up these very overt kind of severe phenotypes. And now we're realizing there's more mild and milder and milder versions. And that's kind of changing our thinking and that this really is a disease spectrum and not just this kind of categorical disease um, as we've currently, as, as we've kind of historically treated it as. And I think the other thing to bear in mind is that um, because of this, there's a lot of new drugs that are being developed in this mm. field. So there's better mineralocorticoid receptor antagonists being developed. So you may have heard of finerenone, which is becoming popular in treatment of um, diabetic kidney disease. And it's it's been shown to slow diabetic kidney disease. And there's, there's a newer class of medications called aldosterone synthase inhibitors, which actually blocks your adrenal glands ability to, to produce aldosterone, which has a lot of potential of actually changing how we would treat these patients. And those drugs are becoming available. And here in the next five, 10 years, you're probably going to see a a pretty dramatic transformation in the arsenal of drugs that we have Mm -hmm. to treat this condition. It's probably challenging for primary care providers just to stay on top of like these rapidly evolving fields. So what do you want the key takeaway to be like the one liner for them to remember? Yeah, so I think the again, this is this affects a lot of people. So a lot of it is going to spill into primary care because given we think it's 10 to 20% of hypertension, it's going to be hard for a special, hypertension specialist to see all of these patients. Many of them will be in primary care. Um, and so I think the takeaway is to think of it because um, even the patients that we clearly should be testing for is not being, it's not happening. So I think the thing is to just kind of, I think we have to learn that it is very common and we have to think of it and do the testing and kind of get past some of these myths that you have to, that the algorithm of making this diagnosis is super challenging. It actually can be simplified quite a bit. Um, and so I think the key is to really think of the diagnosis and go ahead and do the testing. And and I think the goal here is to really individualize care for patients and picking rather than treating blood hypertension as a one-size-fits-all sort of disease and approach mm. to it, you really need to individualize it. And I don't think it's I don't think it's going to be overly complicated. And I think over time, we're going to be developing simpler and simpler algorithms for how to actually go about doing that. And all you have to do is send off an aldosterone and a renin. That's the, that's the starting point. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Dr. Greg Hundermar is a badass nephrologist and clinical associate professor at the Ottawa Hospital. Blair, what are your first thoughts? Well, 
first of all, I didn't know you could cure hypertension by removing the abnormal adrenal gland. I think that's so cool that you can cure what I thought was like an incurable chronic disease just by snipping out <laughs> the adrenal gland. As I always like to remind you, nothing cures faster than cold, hard steel. And today you are right, Jola. Uh, but otherwise, I just find this really interesting that, you know, I I would have thought this was pretty rare. And we see a lot of people in the emergency department with hypertension and universally, unless they have organ damage, we're like, go see your family doctor. But more and more often people are saying, well, I don't have a family doctor. And so I've had to become, I start hypertension management. It's actually against our national guidelines, but there's nowhere to send people for that. I, I can send them to the internal medicine clinic, but my GIM colleagues are like, our clinics are overwhelmed with people who don't have family doctors and they're not able to see everybody. So I, I feel like everyone just needs to kind of brush up on this type of stuff and be able to spot that patient who does need a different frontline agent for their hypertension because we're just, it seems pretty inevitable that we're, you know, the family medicine is, is no longer that safety net because so many people in this country can't get a family doctor. And also that our patients are very complex and not just complex, but now we have a greater understanding of the variability Mm. in terms of what are some, whether it's genetic, um, secondary causes of, you know, well-established disease processes like hypertension. Mm -hmm. And I guess I'm bound to order Renin now, which is something I've never done. That's it for this week on the CMAJ podcast. Please remember, we would love if you could like or share our podcast wherever it is you download your audio. I'm Blair Bigham. I'm Mojala Amale. Until next time, be well.